pray that anything that I speak, Lord God, would be just of your words, Lord God, and not my words. Lord God, I, um, I just want to glorify you. God, we love you, Lord. Lord God, I just pray that this church would give you honor and glory. I thank you, Lord God, just for saving us, Lord God. We're wicked. We're wicked, Lord God. We don't deserve to be saved any more than anyone else, Lord God. God, you just poured out your kindness upon us. Lord God, your mercy is just unbelievable, Lord. Why would you do that to us? God, have mercy on other people out there. People who are lost and dying and going to hell. God, have mercy on them. God, we just ask that, Lord God, that you would do a mighty work, Lord God, upon the people that we rub shoulders with. We've been spending eternity forever in hell. God, turn them towards you. We just ask that, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, for having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as our, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm just going to start with the, ver the first verse here. I'm going to hit on three main points. There's quite a bit to go th that I can expound on here, but... Um, uh, in regards of just the time limit and so forth, uh, I'll do the best I can. It says, For therefore having a ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. In Psalm 127, 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor and those who labor in it, they labor in vain. It's by mercy that God gives us a ministry. That when you, as I've been working in ministry, when I worked at Souls Harbor Rescue Mission, as I've worked at Youth for Christ, that you know that God has given it to you, that, that you're frail and that you're weak, that you can't do ministry. You're not good at it. I don't, I don't possess the skills and the ability to do it. And that it's only by the mercy of God as you see God working in it, that he will come and do ministry through you. That's why we do not lose heart, because if it's of God, it will last. Whatever is done by the flesh needs to be maintained by the flesh. And whatever is done by the Spirit will be maintained by the Spirit. God will work it. He will do it. Okay? It's, I've, I've seen it in my own life as I've... I'll, talk, I'll, I'll go a bit more into it. But when I worked at Souls Harbor Rescue Mission, one year I, I feed 250 people on a daily basis there. And... I, spent, I only spent $3,000 on a budget there all year for groceries. Can you imagine that? It's amazing. Because God's hand was upon it. He provided for those people. Because it, it was through Him that it was done. I actually prefer it that way. I, I, I look at George Mueller who, um, who opened up an orphanage for 700 orphans. Or I, I think of Faith Mission, my friend Jeff Gowdy. They don't even ask for money. They just trust, they just pray to God. 
and believe that it will, ha- that it will happen. And that, and that way you know that God's hand is upon you. If, you, if the money's not coming in, maybe, maybe God's leading you into a different direction. Maybe you need to repent. Who knows? You need, to, you need to look into it. If the money's coming in, it's coming in for a certain, certain um, ministries or what you're praying for, then you know you can go forward. It's in God's hand. That's why I always, I always have hope that I will not lose heart. Because I know if it's, if it's God, God will keep it. It doesn't come from me. Going to verse 2, it says, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the... I'll, I'll stop right there and go to there. I think many of you are quite aware of the escapades that go on with churches. Um, I've experienced some of them. Uh, I've been at churches where I've seen the church like an amusement park. I've uh, been at churches where, <laughs> where the preacher is literally screaming at the top of his lungs. He's screaming at the top of his lungs the whole sermon. I went to this conference and one guy was so, he was so rattled after, he traveled, he must have traveled, you know, I'm saying, he came from Canada down to the, down to the States, and he, he went right home after that service, because it was just, it just wasn't of God. I mean, it was just some, I don't know if he was trying to fake his passion or what it was, but it, the spirit wasn't there. We, just, I've seen pastors hopping around, talking about, like, if you give money to the church, you know what I mean? More money will come in. And then you give more money to the church, more money will come in. I've seen him doing that, actually dancing around on, on, on the stage. These, these disgraceful, underhanded ways. I've also heard of many. Um, I've heard of wrestling matches. I've heard of drive-through communion. Can it get any worse than that? Drive-through communion? Isn't that disgusting? That, that you want to just rush through the Lord's Supper. You know, not even take the time to think about um, the cross, to think about what he did, that he died for us. Why is this happening? I'll go over three reasons, but I, I believe that there's a root. What I mean by root is that quite often what we will do is when we talk about sins, we'll deal with the fruit, but we won't deal with the root. There's root sins in our lives that we need to deal with. Quite often, it isn't just it isn't drunkenness, or it isn't it isn't um, uh, anger, or it isn't it isn't these things. We need to get down to the root and sever it there. Some of these antics come from false believers. They are deceived themselves. In Matthew twenty-three, you look at the Pharisees, and it's, it, it mentions five times that that they are blind. Jesus tells them that they're completely ignorant to leading people to God. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, who travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. When he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So they are blind guides leading the blind. There's many that are, that are out there that are doing that, that sincerely just don't know God and that they're lost. We know that the, we know that the Pharisees were that. Some are thieves. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. So in their greed, they will exploit you. I'm sure you've seen a lot of these televangelists that go around wanting to buy $65 million jets. One of them made an excuse that's saying, well, even Jesus had a, a treasure. Well, yeah, he was a thief. 
The other this, the others desire the glory from man, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians out there that would prefer that you like them and they could care less that you spend an eternity in hell. I believe that. I really believe that they're not willing to really tell you the truth because just because of the selfish, unloving motivation that they want to be accepted and they could care less that you would end up in, a, in, a, in the lake of fire. The problem that bugs me the worst about this is that I'm not even just talking about the ridiculous ministries of, of, of wrestling matches that are done in church. I'm talking, this is mainstream ministry that's going on. I mean, you'll notice that I'll probably focus on youth ministry um, quite a bit as I talk in this because I, I work for Youth for Christ and that's what bothers me. So I'll be, I'll be focusing on that. Mainstream ministry is basically focuses on the relationship provides a delicious snack, some fun and games, and then there's some surface level teaching about Jesus that focuses, focuses intensely on some of his characteristics while completely ignoring other characteristics of God. I believe that ministry has unfolded this way because of the sin of unbelief. A person that appears to embrace Christ but in fact reinvents him this person is surely rejecting Jesus as the person who denies him outrightly. It's true. If you take Jesus and you remove characteristics of God from him and you make what, what is comfortable for him, then you, no longer have, you now have a different Jesus. Okay? We need the Jesus of the Bible. If you look at Thomas Jefferson, he had a Bible. It was called The Life and Morals of, the Jesus, of Jesus of Nazareth. He would actually cut out all the parts in it that talked about miracles because he wanted a different Jesus. Okay? So we can, you can even look when, when, you, um, when the Israelites were, um, when Moses went up on, onto the mountain, it says, in, it says here, Aaron saw and he built an altar and tomorrow we should feast to the Lord. That's a capital L. They thought they were still worshiping to the, to the, the real God. That this was actually, they, they still said, no, this is the God that, we, that took us out of heaven, or took us out of Egypt. This is the God, capital L, that they believed that, that they, could, that they could add on to him, that they could craft or mold another God of their own image. So we don't, we don't, have, we don't have idols like, um, well, we do. But we, in, in, in Canada and America, we don't have idols like molded idols like, like in Nepal or wherever it is, right? We mold up our own God, don't we? It's called the God of our own convenience. I used to have that God. I was a hypocrite. I went to church my whole life, and I had that God. You know, my, my, God, my God was okay with a little bit of drinking and partying and maybe a little bit of stealing. You know what? He wasn't okay with murder and you know, stealing a whole bunch of money, maybe from an old lady or something like that. Because we, we make that God up in our own mind. It's unbelief that we don't believe in the Bible. It says, it's why the prayer meeting has been abandoned. They don't believe. It's why sharing the gospel is considered ineffective. They don't believe the gospel is the power to salvation. 
It is why the Bible is ignored and business practices replace the guidance of the church, even though for the wisdom of, of the world is foolishness to God. See, our tools to, be, to, to a powerful church and to a powerful people of God are prayer, fasting, the word, and, and the gospel. It isn't business practices. If you, if you were to think, of, we need to have faith. We need to, have, to be able to believe. Without faith, we cannot, the, the Lord, we cannot, without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? Absolutely. If you looked, if you looked at David going against Goliath, did that make any sense? That a little, a little shepherd boy who couldn't even put on a man's armor would go and fight for all of Israel? Or Joseph, that he would end up being, becoming a slave and then go to prison. Is that, is, is that how we would think that God would bring someone to actually come into power of one of the most powerful nations and to save the world from, from famine? Or Moses to come against the greatest army, Egypt, as an 80-year-old man and, and to take them out without an army himself? It, it, it comes by faith. When we read the Bible, we need to believe it. We need to believe that prayer is effective. We need to believe that the gospel will bring people to salvation. If you look at David and Uzzah, when they were going to move the cart, they decided to use the Philistines' method. Isn't this much easier for us to do this, to move the, the ark on a cart, instead of carrying this heavy, this heavy burden on these poles? See, they went and took another method from from a, different, from a different people group or a different culture. But the, the way they walked, it didn't please God. And it ended, ended up causing Uzzah's life. It says this in the Bible. It says in Amos 5, 21, 23, I hate and I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And your peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. Imagine God saying that to you. That, is, that your worship was, was ugly or gross. And I, I believe he says that to, to, to um, churches today. Absolutely. We talk, we talk, I, want to, I want to say this though, we can't judge every single church and every single person in that church. It says this, I know your works. He's talking to a church here in, in Revelations. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in my sight. Remember that when you've received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I'll come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments who will walk with me in the white, for they are with worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus with, in white garments. So yes, he was speaking to a church. And he was saying, you know what? I'm not happy what's going on with this church. I need you to repent. But yet, there's people in that church that have come, that they are clothed in white. They haven't soiled their garments. And we need, and we need, to, we need to recognize that, that we can't just cast out every church that doesn't, we don't agree with maybe the way they look or the way they do worship or maybe even some of their doctrine. That God doesn't, God doesn't use perfect people. 
And he doesn't use perfect churches because we're not perfect. He uses messed up people. And, he de- and through his sovereignty, he's able to do that. I also just think about, you might even, as I was even talking to, to, to Kelly today, I was telling him that I run a boxing club. Well, what does that have to do with the gospel? I run a boxing club. Well, I do. I do with Youth for Christ. So, is it, like, that doesn't sound like Christian work to me, right? But you know what? I knew it was born of God. I, can, I could get into it if I wanted, if you wanted me to. I could even talk about it to you later. But I knew that it came from God, and God led it, into, led it to me. But you know what? I never, ever flake out on the gospel. I always give the gospel. I, I tell the fullness of sin, judgment, wrath, God's mercy, mercy how Jesus Christ paid our fine on the cross, and how we're saved through grace. So we've got to be careful that sometimes we can see ministries and we think, you know what, is that even of God? Well, we need, to, we need to take a look at the person. We need to get to know them and see what their ministry is doing. Maybe that person's really preaching the gospel and really leading them to Christ. Move on to um, the third verse here. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You look at this, this verse here, and it's the gospel's veiled and says the God of this world is blind at the minds of the unbelievers. We know that Satan is the God of this world. So we, we see that quite a bit, don't we? That people are always praying against Satan. Praying against Satan. You know, Satan, you know, we bind you and, and, and these sort of things. And, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to say that it's entirely wrong to do that. The, it says um, um, to, pray, to pray against evil coming upon us in the, in the Lord's Prayer. But it, are the things that are happening in Baltimore over Freddie Gray or the earthquake in Nepal or maybe it's the cancer with your family member or maybe it's the problem that you have at, at, at work with your job. Is, is it because that the devil is always defeating God? Is it because that Satan's always beating God to the punch? No, absolutely not. That's not the case. Satan is a tool of God. When we, um, if we take a look at David and God wanted him to number the people of Israel. If you look at 2 Samuel 24.1 or 1 Chronicles 21.1, these are two different views of the exact same account. I'll read the first one. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go and number Israel and Judah. Okay, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. We go to the next, or we go to 1 Chronicles 21.1. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. It's the exact same account. But once one scripture says that the, that the Lord was active in it, the next scripture says that Satan was in it. So God used Satan as a tool. 
says this, The Lord said, You will entice Ahab, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead. And the one said one thing, and another said another. Then his spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed and go out and do so. And therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all, all these your prophets. The Lord has declared this disaster for you. <laughs> so it's God using Satan there. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So the matter is not, is the devil getting the upper hand on God? But what is, what is God's purpose in calamity? If you take a look at Herod, if you look at, the, at Herod and his death, and you look at Peter and how God and how he was um, his prophecy about his death, God was both actively involved in their death. But one one was what? One was to bring judgment upon him, and one was to bring glory. It takes discernment, doesn't it? We can't always, we can't always, we can't always say that, you know, when all that person, they were, they, they died that way because it was God's judgment. No. What about Lazarus? The, the, the reason why Lazarus died, or the reason why Jesus didn't go to him earlier is because for the glory of God, right? Immediately the angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God glory. That was for Herod. And for Peter, truly, truly, I say that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to. Wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you out where, where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. So God uses all these, all these purposes of him, these disasters, these things that come upon. Sometimes it's for judgment, sometimes it's for glory. Sometimes some of the things that we're going through, that God's using it to refine you, to build you up into the person that you want to be. I mean, even at Youth for Christ, I, I was wondering, what am I doing here sometimes? I just felt it was just so difficult for me to be there. But I realized that they were building, they were building me up to understand how to run ministry. I think I understand it better now than I ever did. And it will help me when I move, move on to it. That God is actively involved. For us to, to always say, you know what, why is, why is Satan coming against me? Why is this happening? No, what is God working on in your life? What is God trying to show you? What does God want you to learn in this situation? Ask God that. Ask God what's going on. Why am I going through this struggle? What is going on here that I need to learn? It says, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. It says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. So, there's many verses that you can use to, def that people defend arguments with and so forth, but I want to tell you that there's not a single verse that shows that the devil or man thwarts, God, thwarts God's purposes, thwarts God's, God's plans. You can't, you can't find it. It's God that is in control. God is our greatest friend, and he can be our worst enemy. You look at the revivals, if you go to Asa, and the revival of Asa, 
And there was, there was, God troubled them with every adversary. And the nations were coming against them again. And, what did they, and then they offered the Lord at the time 700 bulls and 700,000 sheep. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. Whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great. And they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. So, God, so trouble came upon them. And then you know what they did? They had a solemn assembly. And they came together. And they sought the Lord. They, they, went, at, they went after him. They repented. They, they gave sacrifice. God is the answer. Satan isn't the answer. You don't need to come against Satan. You look at Esther. Did, 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 did Esther go to Haman? Who, who represented the devil? No, Esther went to the king. We look at Jehoshaphat and we look at the revival there. Jehoshaphat appeared and set himself and seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah and they came to seek the Lord. And all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed. And then he gave him victory over the ambushes against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. That is, I, I believe that this is very telling for what has, needs to happen in Canada. Is that we need to take a catalog of our sins. We need to see what we have done wrong. That we've turned against God. We have, we've decided, you know what, I love my comfort more than I love God. I love my vacations. I love... I love Instead of going and reading my Bible, I'd rather watch my favorite TV show. And we haven't put God first. We need to turn to God with our whole heart and repent of that. To see His power and His Spirit come back again in a mighty, mighty way. That's what we need to see happen again. And it's always been His people coming back to Him and repenting and turning Him. Repenting in belief. Repenting in belief. It's that basic. It's that simple. Prayer. That's what we need to do. God doesn't have his hands tied in saving a soul. He's sovereign over everything. He has his hands on everything. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Proverbs 21.1 One who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, seller of purple goods, was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said. God can do it. We need to trust in God and the, and the Spirit of God and the power of the Gospel. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but they were born of God. going to go to, I, I skipped this because I thought I, could, I would just put this all together here as it's talking about in the second verse. By the open statement of truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Skipping down to verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. 
I struggle with a lot of ministry. I, not that long ago, I went to Dolfer, and Dolfer is a high school in Regina, and I, and what I struggle with with ministry today is that people will do pre-evangelism, meaning let's go to a school and get people to come to our our. Uh, our church or our youth group, and then they get into the youth group. But the pre-evangelism doesn't even end up in an evangelism. And that the actual, the word relationship has actually replaced evangelism today. There's a quote, I, I, I like this quote, it says this, it says, friendship evangelism without the proclamation of the gospel is neither friendship nor evangelism. We need to speak to someone's conscience when we need to talk to them about God. We need to awaken them and alarm them of what's going on, that they're going to swear they're going to spend eternity. It says this, it says, They show the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Romans 2.15 Con, con means with, and science means knowledge. It says, it says that we are born with this, that we know between right and wrong. That, if you, that your conscience will either accuse you or excuse you. It's very simple. If I leave my wallet there, and you, and you steal money out of it, it's going to excuse you. If you grab my wallet and you give it back to me, or it's going to accuse you, sorry. If you grab my wallet and give it back to me, it's going to excuse you. So we need, to, we need to stop thinking just because we have become friends with someone that we're actually leading, to, leading them to at least showing them that they've sinned against a holy God, a righteous God. It said in the Bible, there's zero verses that talk about relationship, not one. There's zero relationship, there's zero verses that talk about friendship in the context of evangelism. When I go through the book of Acts, I like, I like going through the book of Acts because it's action. It's just like when someone writes you a letter. You actually get a real, a real view of who the person is when you actually walk and see how they, how they walk their life out. I think it's in 39, 39 times that they, it talks about preaching the gospel in the books of, book of Acts. This is going to be a little repetitive, but th this is my point. Daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus. Imagine that daily in the temple and in every house. Those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then they went and testified, preaching the word, preaching the gospel in many villages. Philip was found in Azotos, passing through, preached in all the cities. He spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. The word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all of Judea, and he commanded us to preach to the gospel to the people everywhere. Those who were scattered after persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, preaching the word. 
They preach the word of God in the synagogues. It goes on and on. It also, it also talks about how they... The word I'm looking for is that they... They persuaded people. They persuaded with them. They sat down and they talked to them. And we, we need to know that, that. You know what? People want to know about God. People believe in God. It says eternity is set in the hearts of man. You know there's 4,000 religions out there? Because people believe in God. When you see a building, you know that there's a builder. When you see a painting, you know that there's a painter. If everything's been made, like this chair and this... This mic here, and my Bible, and that glass, and this piece of paper, if everything's been made, why wouldn't you have a maker? People know in their heart there's a God. It says that in Romans 1. They know that. We need to go out and just talk to people about God. People want to. People want to. I'm going to tell you, if you go and start talking about people about God, you know what? You'll do it the first time, and you'll blow it. Do it in some, do it some other place. Do it you know, when you go to Regina, and you'll never see him again. And then do it again, and then you know what? Do it a few other times, and you know what? Who, you, you'll be a pro at it. Who here has had someone come speak to them about God in the last year here? Who? Uh, put your hands up, please. You, you, on the street? Yeah. On the street? You, okay. How many times? Once. Anyone else? One time. One time in this whole, in this whole group here. Isn't that unbelievable? How can that be? What is the church doing? We're supposed to be going out and reaching a lost world, and one person has been taught about the, talked about God once. You know what? If you go and talk to 20 people about God, you're going to be a pro. And people want to talk about God. You know who's going door to door to talk to people about God? Who do you think? Huh? Cults. And they don't even have the Holy Spirit. And they're winning tons of people to Christ. I mean, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> they're, win they're winning tons of people to their cult. Yeah. So, um, I'm, just, I'm just saying that we need to get back to the basics. I just, I just read to you in the Bible here how often they just went and talked to people. People want to talk to, talk to you about God. And if you start learning how to talk, how to, talk to God, God will use you. I know for a fact that God has put people in my path because I'm willing to talk to people about God. And what we want to do is we want to use the conscience. Okay? You don't have to learn, you don't have to learn um, about transitional fossils and about archaeology and about history. You just need to use the conscience. Do you know every time I witness to someone, I know I have a two-on-one tag team against them? It's me and their conscience against them. I know, I know that. And, and, and they're, willing, they're willing to listen because it makes sense. If I, if I come to you and I tell you, if I tell you, hey, you know what? Um, here's an example. If, I, if, if, if a police come and they just kick down your door and they come and throw you in jail, you know what? You're gonna, and they say, you know what? You're going to jail for a real long time. You know what? You're going to sit in that jail and you're going to be steaming. You're going to be aggra aggravated because you're going to be wondering, why am I in here? And you, and you and no right, you, you deserve to feel angry because you have no idea what you did wrong, right? But if the police come in and they kick down your door and they say, hey, you know what, you've got a counterfeit business in your, in your backyard there, in your garage, and you've been printing off millions of dollars, 
then you know why you're going to jail. You know, it, it, it makes jail reasonable. And so when we tell people that they're going to hell without giving them the law, they don't understand that. The law guides people to understanding that they've broken, that they, they need a savior. It says this, it says, well, I don't think I'll pop right down this, but it says, the Lord of the law is perfect to restoring the soul. That's Psalm 19.7. Okay? That we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. If you're under the law, if you know it, you're going to become accountable if you're honest with yourself. By the law is the knowledge of sin. So without giving the law, they, don't under, they won't understand sin. We need to give the law first. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin. So that through sin, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. It does that, doesn't it? If you come and you take, if you take the commandment and you say to someone, I, I, what I love here, I love, I love this next one right here. It says this, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. I love that. I love in the Ten Commandments that the first nine commandments are all doing stuff, but then you get, la- you get down to that last tenth commandment, and then it's about the heart. You can't even desire to have, you know what I mean? You can't jealously want what other people have. It's like, oh, <laughs> he's even judging my heart. Like, <sighs> just opens up, you know, your, your whole thought life. Like, he, God's even judging that, right? Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. The law teaches us that we need Jesus. Am I, am I, am I just claim? I, have you guys heard all this before? Am I just? I hopefully, hopefully, I'm not boring you guys. Okay, but I'm sure. I, I hope it's it's very very important, and especially if you want to reach lost people out there. That's what this this that's what we're about is reaching people who are dying, going to hell. We need to, we need to do that. I, it says right in here that we proclaim, yeah, for that we would proclaim is not ourselves. We can't proclaim ourselves. We can't, we can't have, that's, I see that happen so often with so many ministries. I actually know of a ministry right now, like their goal is to get the school board to like them enough so that they'll actually get into, um, you know, be able to get in there more and do more work in there. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know I mean, that, God can't use that for his glory and stuff, but like, I don't see many verses talking about God that we're supposed to get people to like us. Not that we want people to hate us for no reason, but it often it talks about, you know, us being hated and um, being persecuted. And it's because the gospel is offensive. And when you start telling people about heaven and hell and that there's only one way, I don't know how you sugarcoat that. And... If you're just going to mow someone's lawn and then not tell them about Jesus, well, I'm, I'm sorry. The only person that you're glorifying is yourself. That's really what's going on. I mean, if you're cooking meals and, you're, and helping people out with meals and you never ever tell them about Jesus, the only, they only think great about you. They don't think great about Jesus. Yeah, they might know that you go to church. But, you know what? I don't, it's just like, for instance, if, if, I, if my car broke down on the road and some East Indian guy came and you know, help change my tire. 
Like, do I know that he's a Hindu? Do I know he's a Sikh? Maybe he's a Christian. Maybe he isn't. How do, how do I know unless I actually talk about Jesus? How do I know until I actually tell him that, hey, this is because of Jesus that I do this. I love Jesus. The reason why I'm helping you out is Jesus saved me from my sins and I want you to know about Jesus. We need to start doing that. And maybe, you know what, I feel like in, in Regina, I, I can easily just go out in Regina and just, like, in Regina, it's, it's not like small town where it's, there's more community and, and, and you got to develop more friendships and people might get more offended if you just go and start a conversation. Because I do that quite a bit in Regina. But maybe you have friends and neighbors and, that you've had for years and you've never really just witnessed to them. Maybe you could just go over to their house and just cook them a nice meal and just give them a good gospel. Try and just say, you know what, like, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a Christian and I, I love God. He's changed my life and I've always been scared to tell you about Jesus, but, you know, here's just a track. And you know, then you got it out there. I mean, it's over and done with. You know what I mean? You, you, don't have to, you don't have to be this guy who's in the closet anymore. Like, you know what I mean? It's just done, right? Like, I, I just, I just love, the, I love the fact that, like, that in Regina, like, people know that I, 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 I'll talk to people about Jesus, and that's who I am now, and they just know that. Right? And I just, um, and, and do you think someone would really, really even care? Like, they're not going to get angry. They're not going to get frustrated. They're just, out of all the years I've actually witnessed to people, I've, and I've witnessed to thousands of them, I've maybe had maybe one or two get angry at me. How am I doing for time? Are we doing okay? Doing all right? Okay. <laughs> he says I got a couple hours left. Let's go to Ezekiel 3. It says this. You give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. <laughs> the wicked and he... Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness... Nor from his wicked way he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. What does that mean, you've delivered your soul? Do, do we get saved because we've told people about Jesus? Certainly not. We're, not we're, we're saved because Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and paid for our sin. You take a look over here in Revelations. Where are you in here? I've always wondered about this. It says that God is, is talking about this. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and he shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Have you ever thought about that? Why is God wiping away the tears from your eyes when you're in heaven? Why is God doing that? Wiping away your tears when you're in heaven? I bet you, I, I know why. Because you're going to cry. When you go to heaven, and the people who have died there before you aren't, in, aren't there. I know that's, what the, I know that's what's going to happen. We need to understand that as I'm talking to you today, hell is as real as, that, as, as it is right here. As, as real as this. You have a conscience, you feel it, you know what's going on. And we need to go out and we need to reach people. And we need to save them from that. 
There should be a burning desire in our heart. And then I, I, I like to flip over to here. It says, but the cowardly and the unbelieving. And then it goes through all the other ones here. They shall have their part that burns in the lake of fire. The first, the first two ones, the cowardly, those are the ones who wouldn't stand up for God. Those are the ones who turned on God's back. There's tough times coming ahead. Are we going to stand? Do you guys, I, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm worried about what's going on in Canada. I see what's going on in, in France, and I see what's going on in England, and it's going to happen here, and it's only 10 or 15 years away. And we're having some real tough days coming ahead of us. So we need to make up our mind whether or not we're going to stand for Christ or not. And the time is now. The time is to do something about it now. I'll just pray. Lord God, we just love you. God, we love you, and you saved us. You saved us. Lord God, let us have a passion, Lord God, for souls. God. God, forgive me, Lord God, when I, when I don't tell people about you, Lord God. God. Teach us, Lord God. Lord God, make us on fire for you. Make us not care what anyone thinks of us. What do we care what other people think least of us or don't think much of us, Lord God? I care what you think of me. The only thing that's going to matter is when I stand up before you and you judge everything I've ever done. Lord God, that's what matters. God, we love you. Thank you for dying for us. Amen.